Y'all get ready. Yes, you get Y'all ready. Shout out to all my tea sippers out there. We are gathered here today to sip some tea, honey. So make sure you guys have your teacups ready because you already know this tea is what? Piping hot. Hey, you guys. I hope you guys are doing good. It's the evening. And um, I don't know. I don't really even know how I want to title this. But it's just been, I don't know. It's just been on my mind. And I just want to talk about this. And I just want to get this out of my mind, okay? Um, So... A while ago, we had a Discord meeting, um, and it was a really good meeting. Shout out to all my Discorders out there. And we talked about minimalism. And there's like this big push nowadays for minimalism. And we even talked about the World Economic Forum. Um, You know, the wonderful guys who brought us this saying, in 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. So that has been like a huge push, and we've talked about it at length. And, you know, on top of, you know, us not owning anything, um, you know, there's also this whole global reset, right, that's going on that many people, myself and others included, have been talking about. So while I was thinking about the whole global reset situation, um, I was sent a story about Tory Lanez, and we'll definitely get into that near the end of the podcast. Tory Lanez right now is building his own little way in the music industry, and this might be revolutionary because right now he's the first artist to do this, and it really got me thinking about how did we get here you know what I'm saying how did we go from buying CDs and buying music physically in the store you know I remember going to Sam Goody with my cousins buying CDs going to Urban Lights if you're from St. Paul you know where that's at in the midway um you know going there to physically buy copies of things to then we had the whole Napster boom okay and I cannot wait to just kind of talk about the two Sean's so we had Sean Fanning and Sean Parker now we're stepping into a whole nother digital revolution with what Tory Lanez and even Logan Paul are involved in so yeah I just I have to talk about this it's just really interesting to me y'all know I love anything techie honey so I was just really thinking back to how did we get here and what is the future gonna hold I don't know a lot of this stuff has been on my mind and it really had me thinking back to like my teenage years and how I even got on this place called the internet right like how did I even get here to the point where I'm a youtuber and this is a real job and I I love it so I want to take you guys back to like my teenage years and what we were experiencing in my late teens and early 20s. So (laughs) I know the youngins probably won't even know what the hell this sound is. Probably gonna annoy your ears. But I'm gonna take y'all back and I wanna introduce you guys to a young man at the time who was like a hero to so many of us. And his name was Sean Fanning. And, you know, you don't hear his name as much. He's pretty much low key. But he definitely was an innovator at just 19 years old. And his friend at the time who helped him was Sean Parker. So a lot of you guys know who Sean Parker is. Not only was he a co-founder of Napster, but at just the, you know, the tiny age of 24, honey, he also became the Facebook founding president. So he ended up investing money into Facebook, giving Mark Zuckerberg a bunch of advice, honey, bought original shares in Facebook, and now he is a billionaire. So a lot of people know Sean Parker, but not so much Sean Fanning. So I'm going to go ahead and bring you guys back a bit. You're talking about revolutionizing the way we use computers. The fact that you could kind of share emotion over the internet 
something so important to you, you could just trade so freely. That's what was so profoundly different about the explosion of the internet, was that it was one network. So suddenly you could be connected to everyone. I released an early beta version of the Napster software during the summer, and it spread quickly by word of mouth. It hasn't stopped growing since. Just, you know, wanted to create a way to meet people through music. Music will be ubiquitous, and we believe, you know, you'll be able to get it on your cell phone. You'll be able to get it on whatever the device of the future is. We knew it was a long way off from all the music being available digitally. And then there it was. I just felt like this was one of the great moments in human history. This is a company that is building a business. You know, they've got venture capital money. My response to my opinion type of fast enough was, don't take the money. You don't have a business. They're building a business by facilitating the stealing of artist music. We saw the clicks of the numbers, and that's what they were downloading at that particular time. That was shocking. The music business is a great example of just complacency being total death sentence. I thought that the way that people got music for the last 50 years worked. The record companies are not adjusting to technology. Major music industries, entire floors were turning their lights off. I'm bootleg proof, you dig? It's great, isn't it? Metallica was coming to our office. What we're merely doing is giving Napster the information that they thought that we couldn't get them. Napster is stealing from us, straight up, and I'm going to fight them to the death. This last fall semester wore on, hundreds quickly turned to millions, with the program spreading across college campuses like wildfire. Nearly 60 million people used the site to swap music files from each other's computers for free. We literally went from being high school kids leading normal, mundane lives to 12 months later bringing one of the largest U.S. industries to its knees and basically fighting what is the largest corporate lawsuit in the history of the world. Lawyers representing Napster and the recording industry squared off before a three-judge panel. What is it capable of being used? We are not trying to stop the internet, certainly. The final word on Napster will eventually end up coming from the U.S. Supreme Court. Music downloaders, beware. The recording industry is suing computer users. What they've done is to, is to turn an entire generation of kids into electronic Hezbollah. A bomb went off, and nobody knew what the hell was happening. It has changed everything. It's obviously so big, it's out of their control. The cat wasn't going back in the bag. Now the people have a choice. There's no stopping it. You know, that this revolution is, is already taking place. All right. So you guys just watched that snippet of that Napster documentary. And um, Napster was a huge deal when we were growing up. Um, this was a way for us, especially us, you know, broke asses. Okay. People who just did not have money. Um for us to get free music. And this was if you were able to afford a computer. And I remember I got my first computer when I was like 20. And I was so happy. Like, oh my gosh. Now I can get on this thing called Napster. And there was LimeWire, BearShare. There was so many hoodie pirating sites. It was insane. This was in the early 2000s. And there were these huge wars. People were being sued. Uh, Sean Fanning and Sean Parker ended up in a lawsuit with the music industry. Because they were literally starting a business on stolen music us as teenagers you know we didn't really understand it we really didn't care we're like shit fuck that we're raging against the machine and you know whereas the music industry they were upset and you know as an adult now yes i get it but 
let's think about this. The music industry has been around, I'm not going to say since the Donna Man, honey, but at least, you know, a good 50, 60 years. And they just been eaten and taken advantage of artists. And we don't even want to go there as far as the black artists. Like, you know, how many black artists were taken advantage of, you know, died broke and penniless, you know, weren't even allowed to own their own masters. Um, even Sam Cooke was, you know, allegedly killed behind his masters. So the music industry has always been shady. So once they saw things were were being digitalized and being passed around for free they really got upset and you know these guys went to court and I couldn't even imagine being in my early 20s 2021 was their age at the time and having to deal with one of the biggest lawsuits from the music industry known to man even to this day this is one of the biggest lawsuits and so Napster ended up losing of course um and I remember a lot of people hated Metallica back then People were like, fuck Dr. Dre, he's a greedy son of a bitch. Because he was out there like, y'all's not going to be downloading my music for free. I need my coins. You know what I mean? So it was a lot of artists that were like assholes about it. And then you had other artists was like, you know, I get it. We understand it. You know, and so they paved the way. And I don't feel like Sean Fanning really gets his roses or his just due. You know, because basically what happened is that Steve Jobs basically took his idea, ran with it, made it in a more palatable form, right? Like, let's keep it real. When we used to rip music, it would take sometimes days to rip an entire album, depending on how fast your internet was. And a lot of times back then was super slow dial-up speed. So sometimes it wasn't even worth it to rip because it took so long. It was better to just rip one song at a time. Not that I know. <laughs> but yeah, it just took a while. So what Steve Jobs did was basically, from a technical point of view, he just basically reinvented the reel. And he basically went into like the, the music industry and he strongholded them, right? Meaning he took Nat Napster's idea he took what Napster and them did because they came off as these you know um cocky arrogant young teenagers because that's how it is when you're 19 20 you think the world revolves around you right so that was their attitude in the industry the old heads they hated that well with Steve Jobs he's like an older middle-aged guy really smart so he brings out this whole thing called Apple iTunes where now you can you know pay for your mp3s you can download mp3s you can put it in the t I you can put it in the iTunes store and he set the price for the industry which is just crazy you know the industry at that time they were making money hand over fist so let's say you bought like a chumbawamba cd and the cd was trash there was maybe only two good songs on the cd well the music industry didn't give a shit because they still got their 15 dollars, and the artist might have got you know maybe two or three dollars from that sale but they got a majority of the money. Well, when Steve Jobs came in with Apple iTunes, he set the price at 99 cents. And the industry was pissed off about that because it's like, how can you set the price for us? You're not, you know, in the industry. You're not making the mixes. You're not paying producers. But he said either take it or leave it. And what I just always found interesting when looking back on this is how come the music industry wasn't smart enough to look forward and just made their own iTunes store or just made their own, you know, iPod? Like, why did they not try and work with some with some other tech companies and other coders to basically do what Napster and others were doing? 
Either way, they just were not technology savvy and they decided to go the Steve Jobs route. So Steve Jobs really set a precedence for himself and his company to not only get into the MP3 market, but eventually would turn into the streaming market. So Apple always had the vision of foresight. Okay, but there would be no Apple as far as the music industry is concerned if there was not a Napster. If Napster did not create the problem and Apple was not there to solve it, it wouldn't be there. And a lot of people like to discredit Sean Fanning and Napster because it was teenagers, it was you know, two little arrogant white teenagers who started this. But I got to give them their props. They definitely revolutionized music and they woke the industry up like you guys can be touched, you know, and once we get higher speeds, it's on and popping. So, yeah, this was like a really crazy time for the industry between 1999 to like 2006. Like everybody was downloading and pirating. People were getting sued. It was definitely an insane time. And Steve Jobs swooped in, honey, and he cleaned up house he got his money you know he got the artists I'm not gonna say you know he got them paid paid but you know they got some money the industry got some money but they were looking out for their bottom line which was Apple first and foremost so in comes iTunes and everybody gets a you know an iPod and all that stuff and I had the original iPod the fifth generation that played video and I loved it I want I wanted at work and I loved it and it held so many songs so, yeah, you could either, you know, pay your dollar on iTunes or you could continue pirating music, which a lot of people still did. A lot of people pirated music, um, you know, and had discs and, and, you know, huge drives full of music. And so then we come into the more, quote unquote, modern age and we start having streaming. So we have streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple and Google Play and, you know, so many streaming platforms and not just music, also movies. So we had Netflix and everything else. Netflix, you know, revolutionized movies and how we watched it before we'd have to go to Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. And then when those all died out, we just go to the Redbox at the grocery store. And now it's very hard. To even find a red box because everybody is streaming so it's very interesting where we are today when I sit and I think about you know how much things have revolutionized and digitized and where are we going in the future and one thing I always found very interesting is that one of the young men who helped start um, Napster who helped start the streaming service is Sean Parker. On top of that, he was also one of the founding presidents of Facebook. So he was there with Facebook in its early days. He helped, you know, put money into Facebook and he ran it right along with Mark Zuckerberg. On top of Sean Parker's ties to Facebook, he also worked very diligently to bring this Swedish music platform, aka Spotify. Remember when Spotify started, they were in Sweden. Well, he helped bring them here to the United States, and, and he also helped Spotify get integrated into Facebook. So Sean Parker has had a hand in some of the biggest social media platforms that we know to date, Napster, Facebook, and Spotify. I don't believe in coincidences. I mean, all these guys were like really smart. They had backing. They had financing. They had opportunities that many people just don't have, right? And I remember what kind of disturbed me with Sean is that a few years ago, and I talked about this on one of my live streams, um, is when he was talking about how basically Facebook exploits a human vulnerability. 
And he was making people addicted to Facebook via dopamines. And those dopamines were from thumbs ups and attention and things like that. And he spoke about it in depth. And these guys got rich off of that human vulnerability. I'm going to go ahead and play you guys this clip really quick. Because it, the, un, the unintended consequences of, 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 a, of a network when it grows to a billion or two billion people, and it, and it, begin, and it, it literally changes your relationship with society, with each other, with... You know, it, 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 it probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. It... God only knows what it's doing to to our children's brains. You know, if the if the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them to really understand it, that thought process was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while um, because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you, you know, more likes and comments. And it's a, it's a, val- it's a social validation feedback loop that, that it's like a, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. And I just, I, th- I think that we, you know, we, the inventors, creators, you know, and it's, it's me, it's Mark, it's the, you know, Kevin Systrom at Instagram, it's all of these people, um, understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. So on top of him talking about that, also ex-Facebook executive um, chat math, um, he also talked about it, how social media is ripping apart the fabric of society. And this is all stuff that they talked about two and three years ago because we, we discussed this on YouTube. Now at 11, a former Facebook executive says social media is tearing us up as a society. What do you think? Here's what he has to say. We kind of knew something bad could happen. Chamath Palihapitiya, a former Facebook executive in charge of user growth, now says he has tremendous guilt about the social network he helped build. We have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. And it's influencing the next generation. Studies show 92% of teens go online daily, and one in five young people regularly wakes up in the night to send or check messages on social media. People need to hard break from some of these tools and the things that you rely on. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. Bad actors can now manipulate large swaths of people to do anything you want. He's not the only social media executive blowing the whistle. Former Facebook president Sean Parker recently said the initial goal was to get people hooked. You're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. The inventors, creators understood this consciously and we did it anyway. 
Facebook released a statement saying that executive has been gone from the company for more than six years and that in that time, Facebook has changed significantly in recognition of the responsibility that comes with its growth. They say that, will change, that change will continue even if it means putting what's right for people above profits. And so I just always find it very interesting that this young man went from starting Napster, making a name for himself and somehow evolving to be a billionaire. OK, he's a certified billionaire. But on top of him being a billionaire, like I said earlier, he was also the president of Facebook and also helped to usher in Spotify. I just find that very interesting for somebody who's that young to be able to get involved in huge tech companies that have literally changed the world as we know it. I might be reaching, my tin hat might be tingling, but I find that to be a very, very big coincidence that Sean Parker is involved in both huge digital revolutions. I don't know, maybe I'm tripping, but I always found that really strange. And Sean Fanny, he, he tried, you know, to start other tech businesses. He's had a few success, but I mean, he's not poor by any means. Sean Fanny is definitely not as big as Sean Parker. But I just always found that strange that Sean Parker started both of these these huge digital things in my era, you know, from me being a teenager growing up and then watching him create this huge thing, Facebook. Right. And now it leads us here to 2021 where we're at. And what made me just really realize, like how much we got conditioned and didn't even realize it is when I started getting into DJing. This is what really woke me up. So when I was getting into DJing and I was ready to put my music from Apple, because I pay Apple $10 a month for, you know, unlimited music. So as I'm getting ready to fill up my Serato with my songs that I, you know, paid for, nothing would move over from Apple Music. Nothing would move over from Google Play. I, I paid for both. And so I'm like, what the hell is going on here? So now I'm like researching because I'm like, how can you DJ without music? Come to find out you don't own that. I didn't even realize it. You just assume that you own it because your name is on the account. And when you hit play, it plays. But outside of that platform, outside of that app, you don't own it. You're only licensing the music. And I think I just never really put two and two together because I grew up in an era with mp3s you know like whatever we download whatever we rip from a cd whatever we burn you own so i never ever even put two and two together like okay i'm paying every month but i don't technically own this music so i can't technically dj with it now if i want to own the music then i'd have to go in and buy it you know song per song between 99 cent and a dollar 29 so yeah you can go in and buy it but as far as when you're just listening to it streaming you don't own that now, what's really interesting for y'all who don't know um, is that Apple ended up closing down the iTunes store in 2019. So they ended up shutting down um, and they did allow you to keep whatever music you had in the iTunes store or whatever music you had ripped. You know, you can keep it on there. But this just let me know when they decide to shut down the iTunes store that once again, it's fallen into that category of own nothing and be happy. 
and we're not even realizing it. We're looking more at the convenience. But again, if these platforms shut down, if they get hacked, if something happens, you will not have access to that music anymore because everything is being digitally held in a cloud, just like with Netflix. You know, that's what it is with Netflix versus physically having a DVD. So I feel like we've traded a lot of convenience and I don't know personally how comfortable that makes me feel. Even with the PlayStation 5, my boys went and got that. You know, you have one where you can still play physical copies and have a physical disc. Then you have others where everything is going to be digital. Everything is going to be on a cloud. Everything is going to be downloaded. And that's how you'll play it that way instead of having a physical disc. So I think more and more things are going to be moving this way. And I don't know if I necessarily feel good about that or bad about that. But every time I really think about it, like I said, it falls back into what the World Economic Forum has been out here preaching for the past two years. Even when you think about Netflix, we don't own any of those movies. If Netflix shuts down tomorrow, you cannot physically watch those movies. You know, whereas back in the day when we would physically buy a CD, when we physically would buy a DVD, we own that. We gave you money. We received the content. It was ours. If I want to take my DVD and take it to my mom's house, to my grandmother's house, to my uncle's house and watch it in their DVD player, I could. But... With the way we've been conditioned, unless your grandmother has Netflix at her house or you brought your phone and you have Netflix in your phone, you're not going to be able to, you know, enjoy that programming unless you are a paid subscriber. So it's very interesting where we've come as a society and how we've slowly been conditioned to now fall into what the World Economic Forum is saying. By 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. We didn't even realize that we were kind of being played, you know, like puppets um, on top of not owning, you know, anything. Like I've said before, a lot of these platforms now are even dividing off. So in a minute, everything is going to be commodified. And I've been sounding the alarm on this for like two years now. Napster, the idea had taken hold. A flurry of other downloading services took its place. Desperate to stem the tide, the labels up the stakes and sued almost 20,000 people for using illegal downloading software. Do you feel like you're being made some sort of a test case here? Um, yeah. But CD sales continued to plummet, shuttering record stores across the country. An industry in turmoil. So when Steve Jobs came to the table with plans for a new online music store, the major labels finally surrendered. You had only two choices. Either you don't do a deal with Steve, in which case people continue to just email the MP3s to their friends, or you do a business with him and he has a store and then you can sell things. And as online streaming services like Spotify and YouTube gained popularity, the music industry realized it was better to partner than fight them. In recent years, streaming revenues have provided the industry's first real sign of positive growth since the pre-Napster days. Streaming is rapidly changing how media is bought, how it's consumed, who profits from it, and even how much is made. But for mid-tier artists who once benefited from album sales, the payouts from streaming can be slim. The top 1% generate most of the revenue. Hopefully more will be able to earn a living as time goes on, but it is ever more challenging. And as for record labels, the opportunity for them to be leaders in online distribution had long passed. They didn't take the time to really understand what was going on and think about the future implications of it because it was clear to us if we didn't exist, something else was going to exist. The whole reason why 
there are so many people using this service is because this is how people want to access their music. The lessons of Napster are resonating today as another established industry, television and film, faces the same existential challenges. When the music industry was in the depth of the legal fight with Napster, smart people were looking at the film and TV industries and saying, you're next. Just wait till the internet speeds and capabilities get fast enough so that you can distribute a movie or a TV show. That day is here. Nearly 70 million American households now stream movies and TV shows from an internet-connected device. What Napster introduced America to was the idea that you could have a very large menu of content at your fingertips and you could hit a button and get that delivered. In Hollywood, the move toward direct-to-consumer business models has been incredibly disruptive. You're talking about an industry that has functioned basically the same way for about a century. And a new study predicts revenues from online streaming services like Netflix and Hulu will outpace movie theater box office receipts in 2019. There's a tendency to be so ingrained in an industry that you don't see the potential for innovation, for improvement. Right now, Hollywood is in the throes of a very kind of fast and furious reaction to what's clearly been embraced by consumers about the Netflix model. Disney is taking on Netflix with its own streaming service, and it's called Disney+. Plus. Today, with TV and film companies navigating the internet revolution in real time, Napster's impact on the music industry is a reminder of the peril of taking too long to embrace the future. Everything including the internet. The internet is being commodified one site at a time. I told you guys in a minute you guys will have to pay for Twitter. Then that announcement came out two weeks ago that they're going to have this super tweet thing where you can tweet your favorite influencer or celebrity for a price or in order to read their tweets you got to pay $5.99 or whatever the price is all of these sites eventually will charge you okay that is coming down the pipeline because you have a lot of companies who are upset that so many regular people have been able to eat and make a business and make a livelihood off of the internet. So it's a lot of changes that are going on. And I believe that a lot of these changes were sparked with the birth of Napster and how a lot of these record labels, a lot of these, you know, these old school companies, media companies, movie companies, Hollywood, they were not ready for the digital revolution. And so now they're trying to play catch up and you're going to be seeing a lot of new rules, a lot of new things coming down the pipeline. The newest thing now in the digital revolution, you know, like I like to call it, is if you guys do not know, it was announced today that Tory Lanez hooked up with Bonley Finance and he was the first artist, okay, the first rapper slash artist to ever launch NFTs for his unreleased music. Tory made $355,000 by only selling three songs and it sold out in five minutes. So kudos to Tory. Hate him or like him, I don't really care. That's your business. But the fact that he thought outside the box, I respect that. And he's not the first one to do it. Logan Paul did the same thing. He has a Logan collection on there where he sold his like, you know, boxing cards and just different things like that. And he's made a lot of money, you know, so a lot of things are now going towards digital currency. Now, Tory has been literally blacklisted. Matter of fact, today he was crying and complaining. 
about how he's being treated by Spotify. And a lot of artists have been complaining about, you know, their money that they're getting on Spotify is really not what it seems. And Tory feels like he's being blacklisted and blackballed by a lot of these streaming sites. So that might have been what pushed him to go and put his unreleased music um, on an NFT site which I just thought was just a really good idea. And this might be the wave of the future where instead of artists being beholden to the record labels and the streaming services, they might go the same route as Tory or especially people who are unsigned might go the same route where they're selling their music using Bitcoins and using digital cryptocurrency. So it's going to be very interesting to see where we go with all of this stuff in the future. But I definitely, you know, had to take it back to the past because I believe believe that is where a lot of our conditioning came in at was with Napster. You know, we got so conditioned and so happy with this new digital revolution that we didn't understand that we were giving up more and more. So while with Napster, we did get that physical MP3. You may not be physically able to hold an MP3, but that file is there on your desktop. We went from that to streaming to where now you don't own it. They do. So... I don't know. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. This was just on my mind. I need to get this off. <laughs> Couldn't sleep. <laughs> Anyways, I'll talk to y'all later. Deuces.